folks, and welcome or welcome back to NTI's Japan Real Estate Podcast. I'm your host, Ziv Nakajima, again. And this podcast was brought to you, among others, by Emil Gorgis, a Tokyo real estate agent who specializes in serving international or mixed nationality families looking for the perfect family home. So Emil's an Australian. He's been living here in Japan for the past two decades, eight years of which he's been actively buying, selling, and managing real estate properties in the city on behalf of his own family and a great many happy clients. And he also acts as a mortgage broker on behalf of his clients. So his company has a dedicated loan officer in many of the Japanese mega banks. And if you're a regular listener, you probably already know him from our JREP, the Japan Real Estate Experts panel sessions. So you're probably already aware that the man is an absolute fountain of wisdom on all things related to real estate in Japan. And in particular to family homes, the greater Tokyo metropolitan area and mortgages. And most importantly, he's incredibly generous with his time and advice, which he's more than happy to provide at no cost or commitment to anyone asking. So if you've been thinking about buying your home in Tokyo, but you've been sitting on the fence for a while, or if you just want to have a chat in English with a real expert, drop him a line on emil.gorgis, that's E-M-I-L dot G-O-R-G double E S Emil dot Gorgis at Tokyo Realty dot JP. Hit him up today and start exploring your options. So we're back today with another JREP Japan Real Estate Experts panel session. And this time we take a closer look at how properties are listed in Japan. So what are Akia banks, for example, which are abandoned or vacant property databases? Uh, how do they work? Or as is the case more frequently, why they don't work? Where are other, let's call them normal properties listed? What exactly is RAINS, the National Realtor Network database, and how does that one work? And then we segue from there to the realtors, the property managers, and the short-term stay booking and management platforms, their fees, their commission structure in Japan. How do these work? Who gets paid and by whom and when? We also touch on the difference between working with listing agents versus via a buyer's agent. We talk about listing exclusivity. And then finally, we go back to the short-term rentals market topic. And we also talk a bit about the current Minpaku or short-term stay legislation, which was passed in Japan in mid-2018. What does that include? What did it do to the short-term stay market? The pros and cons of the new legislative system in that respect and what this means for would-be investors who are entering this space for the very first time. So really good detailed conversation there. Lean back, tune in, hope you enjoy it, and I'll see you again on the other side. So we've got Matt. It's been a while. We're going to start the intros from you today, Matt. All right, cool. I am Matt. I have been delinquent from this, uh, what do we call it? It's not a podcast. Well, this, whatever this is, uh, for a minute. Uh, <laughs> the new session. The session. Uh, yeah. uh, panel, the panel. The panel, the panel, there it is, yeah. yeah. I've been, I am uh, one half of Akia and a real estate consultancy that works with uh, abandoned or vacant or derelict or you know, basically non-standard real estate uh, across Japan. You've probably heard about them in various articles talking about free houses. Technically, that's true. It's a much more complicated story. If you want to hear more, get in touch. That's All right, Emil. Well, hey, I'm, I'm a real estate agent here in Tokyo. I help uh, foreign families, long-term residents buy their personal home in, in Tokyo. Uh, we can also act as a, a mortgage broker, so a range of financing. 
um, of course, for our clients. But yeah, I mean, questions about bank loans, financing, what you're eligible for, how much you can borrow, what the payments are, what visa requirements you need to be eligible for a loan, et cetera. Uh, happy to help answer any of those questions. Um, feel free to send me an email, link in the description. I think quite good. That's how we do it. Tracy. And uh, over to Tracy. So, yes, I'm Tracy from Tokyo Family Stay. So I have been doing short-term rentals for 10 years. Um, I also train and coach other people how to maximise their profits in short-term rentals. So that's me. And I'm um, Zim Nakajimum again of Nippon Tradings International, or NTI for short. And we do everything else, which is basically investment properties, um, holiday homes anywhere in Japan, commercial developments, land for developments, uh, commercial properties. I mean, uh, the works, whether you're in Japan or out of Japan, we can represent you remotely or physically uh, at any level of involvement that you want us to be in. And we are the uh, Japan Real Estate pa Experts Panel, or JREP, for short, uh, in full form for a change. <laughs> Yay! Hey, it's been a while. Yeah. Let's have you back, Matt. Yeah, I'm glad to be here. It's... Uh... Sorry, too. Like, I've been wanting to be on. But, you know, I just keep getting hit with stuff. So yeah. uh, I kind of have an excuse for being absent. Uh, uh, well, I'm going to hit you up with a question first off, because I just got one um, last night from a friend who's visiting here. Oh, word. And he's wondering if you happen to know why there are no Akia in and around Itoshima, or at least none that he could find. Uh, that is in very indicative of just the nature of the market. There are, I'm sure. Um, whether or not they're listed publicly is one thing, whether or not they're actually up on reins, which I can complain about for hours, if not days, uh, is another thing, whether they're kind of just in the local community and you need to know somebody to know who knows somebody who knows somebody to get you an introduction, to talk shop is another thing. Actually, where did I put that? Right here, this is very relevant. Uh, so one of our clients is interested in a few places. One of them is Yuzawa up in Niigata. Um, if there's, you know, whether or not they're up on the Akia Bank uh, of the local municipality, in this case, Itoshima, uh, is another question. And then if you want to dig into that, they might be on the Akia Bank, but it might be administered in an incredibly analog manner. And so this is I just got this yesterday uh, because the client's interested in Yuzawa. I went to Yuzawa's Akia Bank, and guess what? They, like, in name have a digital Akia Bank, but what it amounts to is a submission form so that you can request permission <laughs> to get physical copies of Akia that are on their Akia Bank. So, so when you say you went to the Akia Bank, you physically, with your feet, actually walked over to an office and talked to a person, right? No, not yet, not yet. So what happened is, if you look up Yuzawa's uh, Akia Bank, there's a website on the municipal, or I'm sorry, there's a page on the municipal website that is devoted to all things Akia Bank, the manner that they want to describe and, and uh, display it. And what that is, is a permission submission form for a digital, like a, it's not a Google sheet, but you know, just like a, a document submission thing where you type your name and your address. That's a bit too advanced for them, I think. <laughs> oh my God, it's ridiculous. And so I did that digitally. And then two weeks later, yesterday, I finally received from them the, uh, here is, so here's the permission, number one, for me to look at, for them to, for me to request of them information regarding Akia that they have in the local area. 
it's not that it's not that simple <laughs> here's the process that i need to follow in order to get that information they fax um, it to you no, oh, no. Uh, actually yeah there was yeah they uh, might do that post as the first resort yeah you need to step up to the 21st century and get a fax machine yeah and so in in short to answer your friend's question about itoshima uh they might be there they probably i mean i've seen akia there are akia in itoshima we don't have clients there right now so i'm currently not actively researching it um but it's highly if not exclusively dependent upon how itoshima the municipality wants to handle the issue Right. And so with instances like this in Yuzawa, I mean, one reason we charge for our services upfront prior to closing is that, all right, you, you want Yuzawa. Okay, like we can do it, but it's, it's going to cost you. Three days of work just to get into the database. Kind of yeah, not even to get written permission to request information regarding the database. I don't yet have information about the Akiya. Do you find, because you've mentioned in the past that it's, it's really fragmented, there's no uniform anything really regarding that. Do you find that the places that have got their shit together is due to what? To like the government taking an active role in promoting the area or just, you know, savvy people who happen to be working at the government department or what? That is a very, very, very interesting question, um, which I can't give you a precise answer on. However, I can I can give you some kind of like findings and, and uh, like thoughts about it. Let me. So one thing that we're doing right now is, I mean, over the course of months or years, ideally we'll have nationwide information regarding this, but because we're only two people, you know, we only have some resources. <clears throat> um, and because our clients are basically actively searching in Kanto and a little bit more than that, occasionally Shikoko, occasionally like we've had requests from Itoshima, but largely in what, Nagano, Gunma, Yamanashi, Shizuoka, uh, Kanagawa, Chiba, Saitama, and occasionally Tochigi, because that's where we're active. Uh, I'm actually map. I'm looking right now at a map uh, that I've created regarding the quality of Akia Bank, right? And it's a very uh, simple, uh, <laughs> very simple rating system. It's only three points. One is it's it's not even qualifying the like talking about the quality of the Akia listings on the Akia Bank. Merely stating there is some type of readily accessible information regarding Akia on this Akia bank, so it gets a green light from me, right? If there is no information and I have to do something like this, it gets a red light, and if I can't tell, then it's yellow, right? Yeah. And so look, I've, I've got, I can't count, probably like two or 300, um, not that many, but like a lot uh, of Akia bank, municipal Akia bank that I've, I've cat uh, cataloged on this. And looking at it, one very interesting kind of trend that I've noticed is the closer in you get to a major metro area, the shittier the Akia bank becomes. Wow. Right? And I can tell you right now, too, Ishikawa does a very good, comparatively very good job of the Akia bank thing. Of course, it's not universal, but I've noticed that Ishikawa and also Nagano can I'll give pretty decent props to Again, comparative, none of it's good, <laughs> yeah. right? But it kind of fulfills the bare minimum requirements for me to say, okay, at least there's like something that I can meaningfully look at. Um, I suspect that that is probably largely due to the fact that the closer in you get to the metro area, whichever one that happens to be, 
Well, in metro areas, you have expensive properties that agents are probably trying to go after. And so they're bothering with those and not bothering with the shitty stuff that we work with, right? Whereas if you're out in the sticks, well, you know, there's actually, there's a much lower um, spread, really, financially speaking, of what there is to work with in the first place. This is all we've got kind of thing. And yeah, and so it makes, from that angle, it makes more sense for more severely rural areas to have more robust Akia Bank offerings. I can't say for certain that that's what's happening, but that's my that's what I suspect. It would be good if they were all on rings, wouldn't it? It would be great if they were all on rings. With the research that we do, uh, about 63% of the time, there is either a listing on Reigns or a listing on Sumo or one of the public facing uh, agencies' databases, but not both. Okay. Right. And my understanding of Reigns is that it was originally intended to be the single source of truth regarding uh, any kind of real estate nationwide. And that Sumo and all these others are supposed to be pulling that info from there and then putting it on their list. I actually thought that's how it works. It's not? I mean, no. technically it is. It's all manual. None of it is automated, right? And so from that point, technically speaking, there is a standard for real estate documentation in Japan. And that is what RAINS does. That is like all of the probably about 150 or so various fields that you can fill in for any given piece of property or, or plot nobody does it because it's such a pain in the ass and it's 100 manual right um so technically speaking yes reigns is the source of truth but nobody bothers well not nobody but often enough people don't bother to use it because it's a pain in the ass maybe to um viewers or listeners who aren't really familiar um emil you're probably the only one here who actually has access to rain so could you tell us a bit about it <laughs> Oh man, yeah, it's a <laughs> archaic system. They like it's the, the UI. So, Reigns is a what? The real estate, I, yeah, also IP network, IP exchange network system. Um, it's it's basically the the central database. We like everyone's familiar with Sumo or Homes. When when you're looking for a house, you're looking for an apartment, we get to rental buy. We're used to these um web platforms, right? That we can just get all the listings from. But for the real, that's that's the public facing one, and independent agents will put listings up to try to advertise and sell, okay, or to rent out. Reigns is the central database where all agents have access to, and that's how we engage with other agents um, to to find properties. So <clears throat> let's say um, you know Tracy wants to sell her house, she goes to an agent. Help me, but anyway, she'll go to an agent and she'll say, "I want to sell my house." And the agent said, okay, great. I'm going to list, I'm going to, I'll, I'll list it. That agent is required to list it on Reigns. They can list it on Sumo, all the public stuff. And if they list it on Sumo, it will say, you know, they have photos of the property and it'll say Tracy's agent, right? Um, and anyone who sees it on Sumo will call Tracy's agent to to try to buy it. Because he's the it's listing the, agent, right? Uh, he's, he's the guy who put it on Sumo. Right, and he's so he's the name and address that's listed on Sumo on the Sumo website, okay. And he's trying to get direct clients. So the direct client that calls the listing agent, um, like Tracy's agent, on Sumo, they're going to pay Tracy's agent a fee, 
because he helped them buy it. And Tracy's also going to pay, when she sells it, she's going to pay a seller's fee to the same agent. Okay, so the seller pays a fee, the buyer pays a fee. Sometimes it's the same agent. Now, what happens also is, like, if, if that's the case and Tracy's agent only puts it on Sumo, an agent like myself can't try to sell it for her. It's not on the Reigns database. It's not on the, like, the, the multi, um, what do they call it, the MLS? MLS. Yeah, but, but what if you, as an agent, see it on Sumo? You're not allowed to contact the listing agent. I, I can try, but it's not officially open to other agents to, to see yeah. it. What I do is I jump on Reigns. So let's say, you know, um, Matt wants to buy a property. He's looking for a place and, you know, and I, I pull up a, a listing and, hey, it's Tracy's house. And so if I'll, I'll go to Reigns to do it. And Tracy's agent should also put it on Reigns. Because that way, I've got a client who's looking for properties around that area. I'll jump on. I'll pull it up. I'll call that agent and say, hey, I saw your listing on Reigns. I want to show it. When can I show it? Then if we end up doing the deal, Matt will pay me a commission and Tracy will pay her agent a commission. Okay? So but by putting it on Reigns, you're opening it up to not just the people who are searching Sumo, but any person who's looking for a property through any agent. Okay, so that's why my clients, I don't, I don't actually have listings myself. I don't have sale listings. I, I work very, very rarely with the sales side of stuff with people wanting to sell. Most of my clients will say, Emil, you know, we're, you know, foreign family. We've lived here for, you know, 12 years of a permanent residency. We want to buy a place. Okay, where do you want to buy? I want to buy it in, you know, I'm, I'm in Setagaya, so I'll use that for an example. I want to buy in Setagaya near Shimokitazawa. Great, I'll pull up all the houses, all the apartments in Shimokitazawa, three bedroom, you know, under, you know, 100 square meters, whatever the requirements are, under, you know, one Oku, 1.5 Oku, whatever it may be. And I'll have a list of 10 or 15 properties. And I'll send that to the client. They tell me which ones they like. They want to view of those 10 or 15. And I'll contact each individual listing agent and schedule a viewing. So I'll go one afternoon and I'll take my client to look at all these properties. If my client decides to buy any one of them, then they'll pay me the 3% sales commission, the buyer's commission. And whoever is the selling agent for the property will receive their commission from the seller, from the seller, the original owner. What happens is if it's doing a great, like by regulation, they're meant to put it on reins. Imagine Tracy's situation. She's like, hey, I've, I've, I'm going to pay my, like Tracy's going to pay her agent 3% to sell the property. Imagine if he doesn't put it on reins. He only listed on Sumo because he wants double commissions. Tracy's sitting there going, hey, how come no one's looking? How come no one's looking? Right? It's like, well, there's so many clients that are, there's only so many which are looking at Sumo. Right? There's going to be a lot more if you open it up to other agents on the database. Right? Because lots of people, like, they'll just be working with one particular agent, and that agent will pull up all the listings. They don't, and he'll show them around. They don't have time to look just on Sumo, et cetera. Or every single time, they've got to inquire with a new listing agent, a new agent, and anyone who's been through that process, you go to a new agent, you got to, they'll take you maybe to a bunch of other properties you weren't sure about. Um, they, or sometimes they'll just feed you information because they want to keep you because otherwise you'll disappear. They'll feed you some listings with some listing information. Oh, this is the price, but we can't tell you the address exactly. Come to our office and then we'll show you. And you go in right, right by the, you know, some noisy from kitty or on the corner of a highway or there's something wrong with it. Or they'll only show you certain information of the plan. Or you go there and you realize, oh, it's leased land. Oh crap! But, you know, you wasted your whole afternoon. Um, so, 
if you just start going with agents that are just on, on Sumo like that, like randomly, one day you want to see four properties, you have to engage with four different agents and try to coordinate with four different people. That's, that's a pain. Um, so that's why, uh, like in my case, I like to like people work with me and I'll just, I'll do all the searching and I'll narrow it down and then I'll schedule with all the different sellers, which uh, one afternoon we can look at four or six properties. Um, but Reigns is that central database, which all agents are ob ob obligated to or required to put their listings up. Some of them may take a bit longer to put it than others. Um, uh, and some people are quite, some, some sellers agents are, they can actually be, you know, a bit, you know, mal uh, malice and say, you know, we call and say, we want to view your property. And they'll say, ah, there's already an applicant. Ah, there's already a contract. Yeah, we because, get yeah, because they, they don't want other agents to show it. They know they're obliged to put it on the system, but they don't want other agents. Because I see the same property is there for time and time again. Um, and really, I thought you said there was a contract. I call them again. Ah, oh, no, no, we're still waiting. Da, da, da. Whatever. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, there, there's, there are some, usually the smaller, more minor agents that will do that sort of stuff. Um, with us, of course, when on our seller side, we, we don't do that. Um, and, and we can't do that because we want to provide a good service to the client. So when we are selling properties, we want to get lots of viewings. Um, and if after some time, after two months, three months, the client is not getting any viewings or they haven't sold it, they're going to get angry at their agent, the seller's agent, and say, hey, how yeah, come no one's viewing it? Mm -hmm. and, and they can lose that deal. So it, it depends on the, the the sell the agent should do it, but depend they'll, they'll also assess how strict or how pushy the seller is, and whether or not the seller is going to you know fire them or not, or go to a different agent. Um, so yeah, th there's lots to. I think this question, what is Reigns? Um, there's uh, it's sort of expanded out to a whole discussion about the industry, but Reigns is a central database. So a good way to think of it is it's it's where all the agents are required to list their listings, um, or all the inventory that's available. And then you can actually go to any agent and they'll show you the same listing. You have access to the same database. Right. So that's why I say find an agent that you're comfortable working with and they'll be able to show you all, you know, a whole bunch of properties. They'll be able to get your documentation in order. And, you know, my clients, I tend to get a feel for what they like after one or two viewings. I get to sort of understand. So when I'm looking through properties and something pops up that I think will be great for them, you know, I've got one lady now looking for a Western, she likes a sunset balcony, sunset view. So, okay, got to be above fourth floor, got to be, you know, um, facing west, unobstructed. Um, and we're, we're looking at that now. And so I, I see a property that this looks, looks like it has potential. Share it onto Google Maps, look in the, you know, 3D view. Is it unobstructed? Yes or not? Great. And I'll send it out to her and say, look, I think this one, this one looks good. Let's, let's check it out. Yep. Western so, sun. I couldn't imagine anything worse. But anyway, each to their own. Oh, uh, the sunset's great though. Sunset's great. Fuji view. Well, I, I have that out my window, so, but. Yeah, yeah. It's hot. It is hot. You know? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Time time. Okay. Sorry. I've just, carried on no, for a while. No, this is, this is, I mean, you touched there on something that's very unique to Japan, or at least hasn't been the case in any other country that I've worked in, is that the um, that double-sided double billing, right? Like in many other yeah. countries, it's usually always mm -hmm. only the seller or only the buyer. And here, like property managers as well, they charge a, um, they charge a fee to the owner when they place a tenant, and they also charge a fee to the tenant when they place the tenant, right? Right. Uh, no. Uh, so yes and no. So we have we got have about forty five staff in our office now. Part of it is a rental team, part of it is a renovation team, part of the sales. And so I'm I'm on the sales team. Um, but for rental, we do property management. 
So we manage properties and we'll put the we'll put the listings on reins, the rental listings on reins. So and, and we advertise them on Sumo. So if someone comes to Sumo, comes from Sumo and comes um, directly, then yeah, they'll they'll we're their only agent involved. So we'll we'll go and show them and we charge them the the typical agency fee for finding a property. Um, but it can be that a different agent has come to show the property. So that tenant is going to pay the agent which uh, brought them to that property, not us. Yeah, but I mean, there's a double payment involved, one on the tenant side, one on the landlord side, whether yeah, it goes so to the, the landlord, agent or not. Yeah, the, yeah. Yeah, the, yeah, the landlord will pay us a, a leasing fee. It's the same with my rental properties. When there's a tenant there, I pay one month leasing fee to my agency. Yeah, so like um, in, I'm, Australia, I'm in Australia, the landlord is the only one being charged in these cases. Nothing's actually being charged to the tenant, as far as I recall. Yeah, it's so in, in Australia... Of, uh, in Australia, doesn't sorry. it come... So I used to have rental properties in Australia that it was... They would collect the rent as well and they would and they would be the boots on the ground for things like maintenance and heavy, but they would take a percentage of every month's rent. So... This yeah. one month fee is really the only chance that agents have to earn, you know, earn some money. It's just, it's not oh, no, they take a percentage here too. Uh, so, so, so I'll, I'll explain how the fees work. I'll, I'll explain how the fees work. Okay. So there's a management company. They manage, so they, they advertise it when it's vacant. They advertise the property. And when there's, and they'll show it, like they'll, if there are other agents, other clients, other agents that come to the, the um, inquire, so just say, you know, the, this family, find, go to their local agent, local agent identifies our house that we have listed. They'll contact us and they'll schedule a viewing to go with that family to view it. And if they want to, if they want to go ahead and lease a property, that family will pay the agent who they were working with the one month fee. Okay. We, as the management company, don't collect that from the, from the client, from the tenant. We collect one when there's a new lease we because we have to prepare contracts and documents and we need to advertise it and stuff we collect one month's fee from the seller sorry from the owner every time it gets leased we pay collect one month fee and there's an ongoing anywhere from three to five percent is the industry standard um of the rent as a ongoing monthly fee australia is similar i think i pay in australia like five percent or so eight for my monthly uh, i think it, it varies yeah but um uh, i think my ones are like you know over a decade old so i'm on a good deal uh, yeah, and so there's an ongoing fee. And then the renewal, when they when that family does the two-year renewal, they no longer work with their initial agent. They work with the management company and they pay that renewal fee to us. We interrupt this broadcast, I always wanted to say this, we interrupt this broadcast to tell you about Tokyo Family Stays. They're a short-term rentals company in Tokyo and they offer a home away from home experience, which is just perfect for remote working, quarantining, or if you just need summer quiet to hide away from the world. So they offer a variety of options for families, for corporate relocations, or simply if you're transitioning between homes in Tokyo. Now the properties are super comfortable, tastefully furnished, fully equipped with all amenities, and they accommodate up to 10 people. So really the only thing you'll need to bring with you is your toothbrush and maybe a change of clothes. They've got fast, unlimited wireless internet, dedicated workspaces, and fully equipped kitchens, and they're just a delight to stay in, a fantastic alternative to Japanese business hotels, 
which if you've ever stayed in one, you probably know they're tiny, they're noisy. Fine for a night or two if you're on your own, but long term or with a family, you'll probably feel you're in a jail cell very quickly. So if you want to give yourself a sense of space and freedom by renting a real home with comfortable Western beds, including all the necessities like baby bedding, children's toys, high chairs, you definitely want to reach out to Tokyo Family Stays. They've been at it for over a decade. They're a fully licensed minpaku or short-term stay operator. And as a special bonus for our viewers and listeners, they're also throwing in a breakfast basket upon arrival for anyone who books and mentions the Japan Real Estate Podcast or NTI. And not only for guests, if you're a property owner, you've got an investment property that you want to tweak for higher profits or a holiday home that you want rented out when not in use via short-term stays, drop them a line today, see how they can help you maximize your property's income. And again, as a special bonus to our viewers and listeners, they're also offering a free audit of your existing short-term stay listings without any obligation whatsoever. So feel free to reach out to them at tokyofamilystays.com. Well worth your visit. And again, if you're in the market for a family home in or around the Tokyo metropolitan area, Emil's your man. Don't be shy to reach out to him as well at emil.gorgies, G-O-R-G-E-E-S at tokyorealty.jp. Um, and that's kind of how, that's how it works. So you think who's getting, like someone's got to get paid. No one, no agent is going to work for free. How it works in Australia is there's one agent. So if I jump on the like realestate.com.au is the big real estate website in, in Australia, similar to Sumo. If I want to look at four houses in one day, one weekend, I need to contact four different agents because I can't use a, a buyer's advocate. Um, or a buyer's side agent, I can use just a, a um, I go directly to listing agents and the, each listing agent will make their money from the sale, from the seller. So that's why they have, ex they have exclusive listing rights to, to that property and they'll, they work on the seller's behalf exclusively. In, in Australia, I can request a buyer's agent. I can, there are people that are buyer's advocates. Yeah, that it's will just take a fee. Yeah, they, they take a separate fee and they'll, they know the market well, they'll scour it and they go in and do some hard negotiations as well. So sometimes their one or 2% fee is actually, you can get a better deal than if you were to try to look for it yourself. And I think Zip, that's kind of almost what-, what Pretty much what you, we do, yeah. I mean, we don't do rentals, do but on the, on the sales- For purchases. Purchase oh, from, yeah. Oh, oh yeah, yeah, for, for purchases, yeah, for purchases. And I think for some people, that's, that's a very, very good value proposition, right? That they, you know the market, you're better at negotiating than, than individual is right so yeah um, especially for people who are new to the market and even for people who are here and can actually do all the communication in japanese themselves with the agents uh, we often get hired just on an hourly consultation basis just to give them advice that's you know that's really strictly yeah. on their side like no vested interest right whatsoever. yeah very important yeah. so yeah so going back to your point Ziv, there are yeah there you do pay both sides the buyer side, the buyer pays a fee, the seller pays a fee, because often they are different parties who are doing the service for the buyer and the seller. Sometimes some agents get lucky and they receive from both sides. That's called yote. Um, that's one of the better scenarios for certain agents, mm -hmm. um, but that's that's not so common. Like sometimes you get fortunate, but that's that's not so common. No. It's kind of like um, Tracy having to pay Airbnb or whoever's listing their 20, 30%, right? Oh, Tracy's <clears throat> gone into the ether. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> well, she got to that little door. <laughs> yeah. Um, I'm going to say, so I got, oh, and 
So I, I, I can go on for forever. Wow, lots of snow coming down. I know my, my background doesn't look like it's snowing, but really, <laughs> we got heaps of snow coming down now. <laughs> yeah. Not yet here. Um, yes, yes. I received a um, an inquiry through, actually, like he sent me a, an email. Emil, I, I heard you on the podcast. I have some questions about a property I'm purchasing. He goes, he, he's based in Osaka, so I don't really cover it. And he's like, Emil, I just thought, you know, it's all right to have a call to, to talk about this situation. I don't know if the financing is good. I don't know if the property is good. Um, can, can we have a phone call? So we had like an hour phone call uh, yesterday. I mean, nice guy. He's an, he's an Australian. He's got a Japanese wife, um, a few kids. So I, I feel him. <laughs> um, and and the, the stress is real. And they're looking to buy a mansion. And they found the mansion. And the, the um, loan is sort of in processing now, the financing. And... I said to him, okay, so what's your, what are the, is the loan include the closing costs? And he's like, oh, I'm not sure. And I said, oh, okay. Um, you want to know that? Because that's a few million yen. He's like in Osaka, one of the places in Osaka. Because um, that's maybe, you know, one to two million yen just in closing costs. You need to know if that's cash you need to outlay or not. And I'm like, okay, so what's the building? He's like, oh, it's a big mansion. Um, and this is the cost of it. And I said, what year was it? It's like early 80s. And I said, okay, is it, Shin Taishin or Q Taishin? So does it meet the new earthquake requirements or not? And he said, oh, I'm, I'm not sure. What, what's that? And I said, okay, like 1981 is when mansions have the new earthquake requirements. Um, so any property built or got the permits after June 1981 is required to meet the new building uh, earthquake regulations, which is called, um, Taishin means earthquake reinforcement. So it's called, often we refer to it as Shin Taishin, which new like the new regu earthquake regulation or Q Taishin, pre-regulation um, structure. And this building, I think, was like 82 or 83, but I suspect it, it's quite a large complex. I suspect it's Q Taishin. But that's often one of the big ones where people need to know um, for older buildings. And he, he wasn't aware of that. And I'm like, okay, what's the, what's the monthly management fee or cost? Because like 100 square meter, 95 square meter apartment. And usually management fees and repair fund fees are quite expensive for a per square meter place. Mm. He's like, oh, I'm not too sure. I think it's, you know, maybe 15,000, 20,000. I'm like, oh, is that for just the management fee? Is that the manager and the repair fee? Like, oh, I'm not, I'm not too certain. Okay, so. Um, this is where I go. Yeah. Send me a copy of the listing, please. Yeah, mm. oh, he's like, oh, he's like he, he was out at, the, at that time. So he sent me an email and I'm like, oh, I'm free right now. Um, right. Let's, let, let's talk. So. He was out, but he told me the address. So I pulled it up on the on Rains, on the Rains database, um, and and I found. I'm looking. Okay, yeah, this, and it doesn't clearly say that it's Shin Taishin, and it's built in like eighty two, like eighty two, eighty three, I think. So it's, and usually with those ones, if it is just on the the clear side, they'll say this is Shin Taishin, yeah, right. But because it doesn't say, I'm I'm thinking maybe it's not. But these are questions that you really need to ask your realtor, um, yeah. to to know about. Um, because it's kind of up to you to know the, what the, the regulations have changed. They don't need to announce it to you mm. for that, right? Um, for the, the Q Taishin or Shin Taishin. That's just the age of the building. Um, but there's a, there's a bunch of stuff. And then it was, okay, about the bank loan, what's, um, you know, some of the terms, are you getting the full, you know, um, costs involved? Um, how much is the agency fee and whatnot? And there's a lot of key questions that he wasn't able to answer. And which I thought, okay, that's, that is um, like that, that's some like basic due diligence that you need to know about the deal. The loan itself, I think, would be fine. 
it's like typical Japanese bank loan with low, low interest terms, 100% financing. That should be no problem. But the building, lots of questions. And I don't know that area so well. I don't know whether it's overpriced or underpriced or at market value, but they need to understand some basics of the property because, you know, what if, uh, this one, the management fee and repair fund fee was quite, um, quite reasonable, it looked like. But one thing I actually said to him, I'm concerned, the, the management, the repair fund fee feels a bit cheap. You need to look at the long-term repair plan of the of the building. It's a chalk uh, issues in Keitaka. And the history um, and plan. how much they've got in yeah. the reverse funds at the moment. Right? Precisely, yeah. And see, okay, how much, yeah, how much have in reverse funds? Are they on track to meet the next 30 years of, of maintenance and repairs? Because he mentioned that there's a lot of older people living in there and what's going to happen when they start, you know, no longer being there is it going to be can they re-rent it out or if there's going to be a, a glut of empty empty apartments are they is a general price going to decrease a lot or are they still going to be collecting maintenance fees right or will the building need to get a loan um to to do the maintenance what's going to happen and these are some things that you need to know about the building this is common with mansions rather than houses um that before you make a purchase it's not just the price there's a lot of other stuff you need to know. If it hasn't been maintained and if they're in a big deficit, if they've already got loans, the building already has loans taken out because they didn't have enough money last time to, to pay for maintenance. Or if they're going to be, if, if it's majority renters rather than owner occupiers, majority renters, the owners um, association often won't agree to increase the, um, the maintenance costs, right? Pull it up because like, I don't, don't want to spend money. Shit, basically. Yeah, they don't care if it sort of you know, yeah. starts start to fall apart or not, as opposed to people that live there. To be honest, we always vote no on any any sort of uh, offer. I mean, because our clients are all investors. I mean, the ones who buy these properties are all investors, and the um, vast majority of them are only going to be holding to the property for less than 10 years in most cases, and it, they don't really care what happens afterwards. So why would they not maximize their profit? Yeah, I, and I fully get that. And that's the, that's the other side of, of it. So you, if it's going to be your family home, you don't want to be, you know, you need to be aware of it before you make such a big, you know, half million dollar decision. So, um, yeah, that's kind of the stuff that I think some basic due, due diligence that you need to know about properties when you are. We, we answer a lot of these questions it. and I, we are very similar to you in the sense that we'll answer them freely. Um, as long as they're theoretical, once people start asking, well, okay, well, here's this particular listing and here's this information. And now can we dig into this one and this one and this one and this one and reevaluate them one by one? At that point, we do need to be engaged. So there's a limit to how much we'll be able to do, but general advice always. I, I was going to ask you, Tracy, before you um, before you went to get the um, the, the package there. Uber Eats. <laughs> oh, is that, oh, is that what it was? Yes, my lunch. So, well, I shouldn't be asking you. You have your mouth full when you answer. No, no, no. I won't do that. Yeah. <laughs> um, I was going to ask: Do you, as uh, when you list your your properties for short term stays, how many similar, like how many fees or or layers are involved between the landlord and the actual? Like, I know that, for example, if you list on Airbnb, they take a certain cut, and then you, for management, take a certain cut. How many how many fees are involved in this kind of thing? It depends. Um, you know, Airbnb take their cut. Um, I. It depends on the contract that I've, the, the arrangement that I've made with the owner. There are some places where I do a profit share after all the fees are done. So after bank transfer fees, after 
the consumables are paid after I've paid the rent, uh, sorry, not the rent, the, um, the utilities. And then, then I get to one number, which is what the house made that month. And then I can do a split after that, or it just depends on the, it just depends on the contract. So, and also depends if it's a rental or whether the, the other person owns it, it, it all depends. And what are the percentages? I heard Airbnb take 20, 20? Airbnb were, they're changing their model because Airbnb were 3% that the hope that are charged the host. And then the guest was charged the 12% or something. But if you're running a professional property management software, Airbnb put you on a, um, a, fifth, a flat rate 15% all on the host side. And so the guest doesn't pay any additional fees. Um, yeah that's how it works so but they're going to be phasing that in because that's kind of market really um that's what booking.com does um so the the, the final price you see on booking.com is the final price you pay and then the whoever is the listing agent you know or the, the host they have to eat the fees um and booking.com is a nightmare because they you collect all the money in advance from the guest directly and then booking.com will invoice you you know, which is yeah. horrible when you've got, when you're having multiple places and you've got to manage your cash flow. Um, we had lots, we had lots of, of fraudulent bookings with booking.com. Oh, but it's nightmare, yeah. Yeah, like my manager was like, oh, we, they, like, after they've stayed, they, cash back, they, yeah. they cash back, like, oh, mm -hmm. that was, it was fraudulent credit card. Yeah. And, and we're like, what, what's going on? Yeah, and and bookies are coming. Oh, yeah. Well, sorry, we just oh. still got to pay us. Yeah. Yep. Exactly. Yeah. We, yeah. Like yeah. And Airbnb is, um, yeah. So like, yes, but basically, someone's booked those nights, and I've got nothing from it. Mm -hmm. Right. And uh, and um, I mean, sometimes it's a few thousand dollars of stays that we have. Mm -hmm. These are pre pre COVID. Um, Airbnb, you know, it's like they get paid, <laughs> and then we get paid. Yeah. yeah. Once they check in, yeah, but that's that's ridiculous with booking. The, the cheeky thing is, as well with Airbnb, is if, even if any if someone cancels, either the host cancels or the guest cancels, Airbnb still still keep their fees. They're not they don't refund those. So even if the the host has to refund everything, like we did for COVID, um, then uh, Airbnb was still paid. So do they do they do that? I know I know if the guest cancels, the guest loses their service fee. They get refunded, but less their service fee. But the host can't bear that, right? What do you mean? So if if, so, if, if, if the guest cancels, depending, it depends on which cancellation policy you use. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and even so, Airbnb hold the final rights to override that if they see fit. Yeah, so yeah. It's, okay. that's what all the scandal was about in 2020. Yeah. Yeah, the, the the platforms were they used to be okay. Now, like when they get there, well, Airbnb is always so so. But at least with the payments, they're always quite clear. Payments um, but now very clear, yeah. Taking more and 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 their, their service has always been terrible. Oh, um, like trying to get trying to get any insurance claims or any support follow up or whatnot. Just mm. yeah, not not good at all. And it's it's a real shame because you know it's a real missed opportunity um, because you know trying to. And it's because that they don't putting any time into into support, and they're not putting any, um, you know, money into the training of of the people that are on the end of the phone, which is a real shame. Um, 
but um, I guess now that they're a publicly traded company, they've got you know shareholders. They've got to be seen to be squeezing every single cent out, and it's hurting. And I think it's hurting their their long term business model, but um, just for a short term gain. And I just think, yeah, I think that's a problem. There's a lot of people are moving off them, as it, you know, because of these practices. So you know, instead of being the market leader in, in and the and the thought leader in 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 terms of mm. the the short term rental. Uh, business as a whole, because short-term rentals have been around a long, longer than Airbnb have. Now, they could have had an opportunity to be not just the market leader but the thought leader. Um, they've squandered that because of their how they've treated treated their stakeholders. You know, we're, we're all, you know, we're all loved. You know, we, we love you, hosts. We love you. We love you until they don't. Um, yeah, yeah so, oh, no, they, they, they stopped that a long time Relatedly, yeah. do – got to jump in like 10 minutes as well. Right. Um, but – do you know, because what, in, I think it was 2019, uh, there was a, like, a new um, legislation pax, passed. Oh, yeah. Meme yeah. Meme yeah. Meme 2018, that was. It was June, it we was lived it. June, June, fir- June 1st, 2018. Oh, okay. Do you I, know, I, I know that's, like, it happened, and then... Was it June fifteenth? It was June fifteenth. Sorry. Okay. Do you, do you have any like insights or any I don't know on the ground info? Because I haven't heard anything. It changed everything. It changed. We everything. were there. We were everything. We were. We're, Emil and I we're lived it. it. We lived it. Yeah. <laughs> so it, the legislation was first announced in two thousand sixteen, and the the Japanese lawyers for Airbnb took a victory lap. They we got it passed. We got, you know, it's now short-term rentals are legal. Look what we did. And they really took a picture of that. And that was, so yes, it was passed as something that was legal, um, but for, but the concessions were really, were, were really harsh. Yeah. Um, so it was 180 days and that was at a federal level. And then at each of the, as it filters down to the local level, because it's administered by the local level, they can add additional regulations on top of that. Um, and uh, it, it was a it was it was a shit show. It did. It took from 2016 until 2018 to get it actually as a working system. And even then, when it when it rolled out, it was I think it was about six percent of applications for licensing were were by the, were actually um, in process. Yeah. And so anyone who wasn't licensed at that point was just shut down. 70, 80% of them just, of the listings just disappeared yeah. off Airbnb It disappeared and they even booked, so they cancelled bookings that were already in place before now. Yeah, yeah. Even cancelled everyone. Everything. And God, even if, slaughterhouse. It was, it yeah. was, oh, it yeah. was a yeah, bloodbath. Yeah, well, one of the worst things they did is they, they gave the power to owner unions, to Kumiai, to just completely prohibit short-term stays. In well, well actually, they, they didn't I know you like the it, power. Right? <laughs> yeah, no, no, no. They, they didn't give the power. They made that the default. So yeah. basically, the they're like so the, the big rules that really impacted people were 180 days um, maximum stay. Okay, you can't do anything more than that. Okay, which massively impacted people. And then a lot of, um, uh, and then the other one was, if you live there, you can manage it. If you don't live there, if you're offsite, you must hire a licensed management company like Tracy's to do it. And that's straight away, you know, 15 to 25 or 30% off the top. I know Tracy said she does profit sharing, um, but a lot of other companies that will just do straight, you know, take the margins, they'll take, you know, 15 to 30% off the gross, um, uh, 
booking um, booking price. Doing that's their major Doing company. nothing, I might add. Yeah, like yeah, yeah. all they do is provide the initial contract to say that yes, mm. we are the we are the we are the management company on record, yeah. but they actually do nothing. Yeah. Well, yeah. Anyway. Yeah, you, you, you need something to do better, but so that that's the big ones, but. And so like, oh, okay, I, 180 days, that's not enough. Well, I, I have to pay someone that takes a big cut off my potential profit. That's, that's not enough. Um, and, but then the one with, uh, if you, the, the big one was to register, to get the license for it. You must, if it's a mansion, you must, it must state explicitly in the building bylaws that short-term minpapu is acceptable. And 99% of the time it's yeah. not. Well, yeah, so... And you need to get that. a letter, and you need to get a, a, a stamped letter from the Kumiai to say specifically that your apartment was like that, that allowed that. Oh, that one I didn't even know about. Oh, yeah, no, oh, to okay. get your license, you need to have a signed stamp document. Um, and yeah, that's why, you know, and no one, no Kumiai is going to let that go through. Yeah, so, it yeah. actually ends up affecting not all, but enough of. Not necessarily negative, but enough of our, our clients are curious about, you know, meme paku or whatnot. And so something that we immediately say is like, all right, if you're if you want to go in that direction, we need to like we need investigate. to get, investigate. Because if you yeah. just think that you can run at it while you're yeah. wrong, that's a bad idea. Well, I'd say that's well, about thirty percent of the calls I have every week is exactly the way they go. Like so we want to get this place and we want to rent it out. Well, it's gonna take some digging. Yeah. One, look, one one good good thing that's come out of it is it means that just shading the business. We're getting lots of just really half-assed, poor quality um, managers that were just straight up profiteering, like prior to regulation. They weren't paying tax. They weren't telling the owners that it was for Airbnb. They were just renting it and then putting it, and there'll be complaints from the neighborhood and stuff like that. And that's they what the regulation. Well, they weren't well managed either. Like for the guest experience, the guests weren't happy because they were like just, the, the, you know, there's just... forty photos on different angles of the same little one room apartment, and people go there. I thought this was a three bedroom, and it's like one little shoebox, uh, right? Oh. Um, <laughs> no, no, I agree. I mean, but the fact the, that they did it, it's, so it's they, they wanted to stop that, that kind of thing. It's not a bad thing. But one they benefit did it, that's but coming out of it. One goes a little bit too much the other way now. Yeah. But now, if you want to invest, people say, oh, I want to get a place for Airbnb. Okay, scrap the Airbnb licensing. You want the hotel license. I think, Trace, we spoke about this in the past, like, one or two episodes. Um, yeah. Now, if you want to go and get the hotel license, which is a regular 365-day operation, now, if you're going to go and spend money, get the right place, right? Not just something that may not fit. You're going to try to, you know... Traveling in a square peg in a round hole kind of thing. That's now, really important. The, the That's hotel. what Tracy yeah. keeps talking about. Like you're buying a different property. If it's going to be designated short-term stays, it's not the same kind of place you'd be buying for long-term tenants. It's just different. Yeah. So, uh, so now it's quite clear. You know, people say I want the Airbnb. Okay, fine. You can do that. Get a place that you can register as a hotel. Get the hotel permissions, and then yes, you're laughing. That has high value. Right. You meet all the clients. Legitimate. Um, so I think that that's the approach people should take now. So short term is still very, very profitable, but not trying to convert something that shouldn't really be a short term stay or is not regulatory approved as a short term stay um, or just maybe minpaka only. Because what they've done is they said, look, if you if you want to live in a house and just use a spare room on occasion for some for some guests, yes, minpaka is this is the system for you. 
right? And you can do that in 108 days will probably be okay because you live there, you don't need another management company. Um, the people who come stay, they're just using a room for a few weeks or a few days. That, that's fine. And for those people, this system will work. But for people that want to do it as a business, no. Yeah, but the fact, the fact that they completely removed the option to rent a mansion unit out as a short-term stay is, is ridiculous. I mean, people you want can, to stay. But, but Zip, you can do it like as a, as a chintai. So if yeah, I found... Yeah, monthly rental, right? Yeah. No, no, no. But if I found, um, and what I would, am actively looking for, is someone who owns the whole building, who I have a relationship with, who maybe, and then they rent out, you know, maybe they've got a couple of long terms, they've got, you know, a couple of long term stays. And then I've got a relationship with them to say, okay, can I use three units of your 15 unit place for short term? Oh, no, no, um, no, that's, that's not what I mean, though. I mean, if I, if I bought a, you know, a reasonably luxurious family sized apartment that I'm going to be using for three months a year, not, not as a condo. Out the rest of the year, that shouldn't be an issue. You should, but you can't. Yeah, so, that's what I'm saying. The fact that they killed that. But sorry, Matt, you got to go, right? Yes, I knew. Yep. Apologies. Very interesting discussion. I hope to uh, continue it next week. Yep. Maybe. <laughs> yeah, Matt, yeah, Matt where, where are you? You're all blurred out in the background. So I'm curious, is it something you're hiding off? Oh, no, I just, that was, why did I even activate? That was on another call. For some usually I'm, I'm excited about your background my one's bland after you this fake one was in the same place you're always you know different oh well areas, okay. so I've, I've got, i have um here we go here we go oh lovely there you go where's I've that got, that's your house in yeah where? i've got my my aunt. Yeah, I've that background before i think i like that cloak you got in the back thank you very much this is what you can get out in the inaka folks hit my yeah. up yeah nice nice yes i have two minutes so i gotta go thanks right. very much as ever for Jamie. interesting discussion and see you next week fingers crossed yeah and um i, I mean, we've done the intro so you all know you can contact any of us for any of our fields of expertise which we've just laid out in the last hour and we'll see you all again next time yeah bye All right, so hopefully this conversation cleared up quite a few questions that many of you might have had if you were wondering about how this all works here. And as always, if you've got more specific questions or if you'd like us to dig deeper into any of these topics, please let us know and we'll do that on a future conversation. Now, before we go, we're also, as always, going to tell you and also link to our other sponsor's website. That's Hiroshi Shimizu, immigration lawyer and administrative scrivener. If you're thinking about moving here on a more permanent basis or you're already in Japan on some sort of a temporary visa and you want to switch to a longer term or permanent one, or if you're considering setting up a local company or a branch office of a foreign company and you've got any sort of business or visa related inquiries, or even if you just want to find out what your options are on any of these topics, feel free to contact Hiroshi Shimizu. You can find him at japanimmigrationexperts.com. And he can help you set up a company, apply for any kind of visa, or just provide you with the best advice and extremely affordable consultation related to these topics. And he's already done that for many of our listeners. So feel free to reach out to him. Again, that's japanimmigrationexperts.com and you'll be well on your way. And that's it from us for today, folks. Hope you've enjoyed this episode of the Japan Real Estate Podcast. Do share it with your networks and please let us know what you think. So leave us a short rating or review on the iTunes store, on Spotify, or just drop us a line in the comment section of wherever you might have found this episode. We love hearing from you. 
Hope to have you with us again next time, and until then, have a great day or night ahead. Yoroshiku!